With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. All right, welcome to another edition of the Conference USA Underdog Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Hope you all are having a fantastic summer. Uh, I am currently glistening like a Christmas ham in uh, the heat in Portland here. Uh, Joe Lonergan and Eric Henry here with you once again to kind of go through some previews for CUSA East teams today. Uh, Eric, amongst you know the two divisions within CUSA, I feel like we talk about this every year, uh, the East seems to be the most loaded, but you know, obviously someone out of the West always kind of tends to, uh, surprise us every year. You know, obviously UAB is one of the last couple of seasons, but as we kind of get ready to dive into the East this year, I'm excited to see what, uh, what we have coming up in terms of storylines and, and whatnot for this division. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, Joe, that you say that because I actually see it the opposite way this year which is the rarity, right? In the three years that I've been doing this podcast with you, usually the East has been the one that you're kind of duking it out at the end and the West, someone emerges, right? Whereas this year, I feel like the East is really wide open. You know, we saw with Marshall, obviously, we had their new head coach, Charles Huff, on the podcast, and they're going through a period of transition with the you know amount of starters they lost from last year's team and certain transfers and whatnot. Um, you know, teams like FAU, you know, they – we're right on the cusp, but they're going to be welcoming some new players that we'll talk about in you know, the midst of this episode. But I feel like the West, of course, we can save the bulk of that for, you know, we do that preview. But when you look at UAB, um, UTSA, you know, teams like those, it, it seems like there's two or three or, or almost four teams that are really are in contention. I know who am I missing from the West outside of UAB that that should be in that discussion right here. I'm sure that their fan base is going to let me know. UAB, UTSA, and who's that third team I'm missing? UAB, UTSA. Um... Louisiana Tech, probably. Louisiana Tech, I mean, yeah. I mean, even – and it, there's a – just even when you look at Southern Miss, I know they didn't have the greatest year last year, but, you know, they returned quite a bit of talent as well. So, yeah, I mean, the East, in my opinion, I think is pretty wide open. So, that should be pretty interesting to dive in because a lot of quarterback competitions – and this probably goes for the entire league, but uh, a lot of quarterback competitions carry over from last year to this year. So, definitely excited to dive right into it. Yeah, man. Let's uh, let's do just that. Let's start off with uh, Will Healy's squad down there in Charlotte. Uh, we talked a little bit with Will Healy this offseason about uh, his love for Chick-fil-A, amongst other things, and uh, his him bringing club lit into the equation. Um, so just to start off with, who do you think are going to be some of the key returners for Charlotte this year that are going to you know make club lit more of a thing? <laughs> well, Club Lit is definitely one of my favorite attractions in all of sports. Forget just college football. Club Lit, you know, I'm sure you uh, you saw the video, Joe, when they had Will Healy as the DJ there, right? And then, you know, they had the door guy there and it's like, hey, you're admitted to Club Lit. I thought that was one of the best deals there for uh, recruiting as far as a recruitment video, uh, attracting talent as Will Healy managed to do. But nevertheless, key returners in my mind here for Charlotte, you got to start with Victor Tucker. I, I know when you look at his numbers last year, 
Uh, you got to remember, Charlotte only played well, six games. Look, he went two and four last year. So his numbers don't necessarily look off the charts, but 30 catches, 400 yards, and two touchdowns. That was really, you know, A, uh, an, a truncated season, but B, Chris Reynolds, a quarterback, was never really healthy. He suffered a shoulder injury early in the year and kind of, you know, had to battle through things. But he's definitely one of the key returners as well. And they, he will be in the midst of a quarterback competition with the Texas A&M transfer, James Foster. But when you go back to the returners, Taylor Thompson, their tight end, I believe he made the All-CUSA freshman team. Is a nice young talent there, about 6'5", 250. He'll get 14 catches for a buck 50 and a touchdown there. So he's a guy to keep an eye on as that offense evolves. On the O-line, Demetri Emanuel's a veteran. Tyler Murray led that team in tackles, had over 70 tackles last year. He's a guy to keep an eye on the transfer from Troy. Almost said Troy State. I don't want to upset any uh, Sunbelt fans. Troy University, no longer Troy State. Uh, but Tyler Murray had a really good year last year. And on the uh, side of the specialist, Jonathan Cruz, one of the more dependable kickers in all of Conference USA. And then when you go to the new additions, like I mentioned, James Foster, former four-star recruit from Texas A&M. The competition is definitely open, but, you know, from talking to people who are there at Charlotte, of course, we'll talk with our own Hunter Bailey, I'm sure, as, a, as the season progresses, or as the offseason progresses, I should say. Uh, it looks as if this is really Reynolds' job to lose. Now, James Foster will push him. And when you, you know, Joe, you and I have watched Chris Reynolds for the better part of two years now. When you put both of them, uh, you know, Reynolds and Foster and you, you, you like if you're taking your quarterback out of central casting, right? Foster is the guy who's six three, six four, two ten. Looks like the quarterback. Reynolds is the scrappy guy who's five ten, a buck ninety five. You know, just running around there trying to make plays. But he's clearly earned the respect of his teammates. And when healthy, we saw what he could do. He was an All Conference former in 2019. So definitely want to pay attention to him. And another key addition, I think you got to look at is Kofi Wardlow, the defensive end from Notre Dame, former four-star recruit. Maybe he can kind of help things out on the defense. And when you kind of transition to, I know, you know, we're going to go through and look at three things to pay attention to for each team. And then maybe a key game as well. When you look at the three things, it got to start with the quarterback competition. Again, whether that is the, the competition itself or the quarterbacks being healthy, Want to see who emerges as the starting quarterback. And then if it is Chris Reynolds, can he regain his 2019 form? Running back is going to be a big thing, Joe. You know, since we've been doing this podcast, it seems that Charlotte's always had steady running back. That's Benny LeMay, Trey Harbison, Trey Harbison, excuse me, Aaron McAllister. They don't have any veterans. You know, guys to keep an eye on are going to be like guys like Elijah Turner. Uh, I believe Calvin Camp is a redshirt junior, is the most veteran back. He's been the third string back for a couple years there. So he's a guy to keep an eye on, but it's going to be wide open at the running back spot to see who really is the guy kind of, you know, is that bell cow back. And then the last thing I'm keeping an eye on Joe is the culture at Charlotte. You know, Will Healy, as you mentioned, as you led with club lit, young, exciting culture and a lot of guys transfer in to want to play at Charlotte last year. You can't really build a culture when you can't string two games together. Right. So how are you going to rebound this year? He had the city of Charlotte really excited about that program after year one. You lose a little bit of momentum because of all the things that went around last year as you know, the program with COVID and, and not being able to play all the games. So can he get that momentum heading back in the right direction and build that excitement around the Queen City? So definitely want to keep an eye on that. And last but not least, the game I am keeping my eye on, week one, they welcome Duke to Jerry Richardson Stadium. That is a game. I'm not saying that it's a make or break game, Joe, but just to piggyback off my point of culture, you know, there you welcome a power five foe to Charlotte. You know, they got to come to Jerry Richardson. It's not like you're heading to Wallace Wade Stadium. That should be very exciting to keep an eye on. If Charlotte can pull off the upset, 
then that should certainly springboard them into what could be a very special season. Yeah, with Charlotte, it, it feels like they've just kind of been on that precipice for a couple of years. And if they can kind of get all these pieces that you mentioned in, you know, lined up and ready to go, then this could finally be the year. And I'm glad you mentioned that Duke game because um, I had that in my notes as well. I just wanted to touch on that real quick. Um, they opened the season with that Duke team at home. And as, you know, Everybody in the South is well aware there's a lot of Duke fans in the Charlotte area. So it's kind of a toss-up on whether that stadium is going to be mostly green or mostly blue going into that game. So being able to beat Duke in your home stadium, you know, in front of a lot of Duke fans, that would make a huge statement for this football program that's still, you know, trying to build its, its footprint in the state of North Carolina. Um so that's Charlotte. Let's move on then to FAU. Um, for me, when you talk about key returners for the Owls, I think you have to talk about JV on Posey. When you look at the year he had last year as a quarterback, he was top 10 in the league in uh, rushing in terms of like yards per carry. Um, and, you know, had 403 yards on the ground uh, as a rusher. So, you know, I, I think as FAU is still trying to figure out their quarterback situation with uh, Nikosi Perry, who came over from Miami, which I'll get to in a second. I think that's absolutely kind of a battle that you have to be paying attention to. And if he ends up winning that starting job, they're going to go as far as he can take him, at least offensively. Um, as far as like new additions, obviously Nikosi Perry, we kind of saw he people up to an extent. Miami really uh, came together completely. Um, and what's interesting about FAU this year in terms of how different they're going to look, that offense is going to be very, very different from what we kind of saw last year and the years before. Willie Taggart's brought in Michael Johnson as the new co-offensive coordinator, a new quarterback coach. It's really anybody's guess in terms of who's going to step up as far as the uh, wide receivers and the pass catchers are concerned. Um, and then you even have, uh, you know, uh, Drew Maringer, uh, who's going to switch over to the tight coaching tight ends. Um, really, that whole group of pass catchers is is kind of a toss up. And someone's really got to rise through that group um, in order to be able in order to help the Owls be able to actually make a difference in CUSA East this year. Um and really, I think just Willie Taggart's group as a whole has to be able to kind of, you know, push out all of the attention that this team really gets as far as, uh, you know, South Florida is concerned. And I think that's going to be a big indicator of how far they can really go is just how quickly those new coaches can get acclimated and how these these newcomers are going to be able to get acclimated. Because as we've you know seen with FAU over the years, they get a lot of transfer talent in for one reason or another, and that's great. But, you know, it, it's hard to kind of build a – it's not the easiest thing to build a culture that way. Um, it's, it's definitely a good way to kind of get new talent in and – get your program as a quick start, but when it doesn't work as it, you know, it, it's kind of been iffy the last couple of years or so since, um, since Lane Kiffin left, but if it comes together, great. If not, then they may have to kind of just reconsider their recruiting philosophy a little bit, in my opinion. Um, 
in terms of key games for FAU coming up this year, the big one to watch for me is this uh, contest against Marshall coming up here. Uh, you go back to last season when Marshall had that really great hot start. They were number 22 in the nation when they played FAU and won 20 to nine last year. This is, it's just going to be a huge revenge opportunity for Marshall. And a really, when you look at the timing of this year, it's pretty early in the year. If they want to help establish any momentum that they need to build in order to make a run at the conference title, they're going to need to win this. Game. So that's, for me, that's what I'm keeping an eye on for FAU this year. Yeah, I think we pretty much hit the nail on the head on a lot of things there. The big thing that I would just add to that, defensively, Joe, they get a lot of talent back. They were probably a year ahead of schedule in terms of young guys stepping up. I look at guys like Chase Lasseter, Jalen Joyner, guys who weren't starters from that 2019 team. And then you look at the veterans like Amon Ross, Zion Gilbert, and then Kiki Leroy, the return of arguably the uh, one of the top players in CUSA in 2019. So. Uh, defensively, you know, they should be on point as, like you mentioned, the offense will still be working through some things as far as who's going to be hauling in the passes and, and throwing the passes. But when you've got that type of defensive talent and Mark Stoops, you know, as your defensive coordinator, the defense should be able to hit the ground running. So that's all I'd add for FAU. On the other side of the Shula Bowl, what are you expecting out of FIU? We talked to Coach Davis last week. He kind of gave his outlook on uh, what he's expecting out of his team heading into a new season here. Obviously, a lot needs to change uh, to not repeat the performance that they had in, in 2020. But what are you kind of expecting out of them? Yeah, so here's the big thing with the Panthers, in my opinion. I'll start with the returners. We know that Devontae Price, or I shouldn't say we know. And for those of us around the program know this, but I you know, have kind of had this conversation among CUSA circles that uh, Sincere McCormick is the best running back in CUSA. I don't want to take anything away from him. However, if Devontae had a full 13-game season, I apologize for listening to this podcast. We'll probably get sick and tired of hearing me say this. If he had a full 12-game season because they wouldn't have made a ball last year, uh, Devontae would have run for almost 1,300 yards, the exact or 1,400 yards. The exact number was been 1,394. He averaged a buck 16.8, 116.8 yards per game on the ground last year, had the longest TD run of any CUSA back, uh, 77 yards, qualifying backs, I should say. I believe Dwayne McBride from UAB had a longer TD run. But that aside, Devontae's one of the best G5 backs in the nation. The Dames twins, of course, are always uh, one of the more solidifying presences back there in the defensive backfield offensive line is going to be something to keep an eye on and you know, i'll get to them in a second when i talk about my three positions to watch but overall joe they return over 85 percent of their production from last year now you got to remember what do you want to qualify as production when you're 0 and 5 but nevertheless it's not like they're having to you know kind of bring in an entire new slew of players the guys from last year who who you know had those growing pains will be able to come back and again, get the benefit of a full spring practice, a full summer workout, a full fall camp, all things that, as Coach Davis mentioned on the podcast, FIU was not able to get last year. So those are things to keep an eye on. As far as additions, they've really been able to add some guys. First, I want to start with the offensive line. Former Kansas center Appy Main, one of the best names in college football. Folks, for you listening, that is Appy, A-P-I, last name Main, as in Gucci Main, M-A-N-E. Uh, he started nine games at Kansas, played in 24, is a big presence at center, Joe. 6'4", 340. That's guard size at center. So Appy's probably going to, you know, step in day one and be the starter uh, at center. Former Temple, uh, excuse me, former Temple guard J.D. Gomez played in 10 games in 2019. He should have a spot at the guard spot on offensive line. 
they just recently picked up former USF uh, was a all all freshman performer, I believe, in the American in 2018, former USF receiver Randall St. Felix. So that's going to be a big addition to the receiving core on the defensive side. Hal Vinson and Jeremy Passmore, two defensive linemen, Passmore from Indiana, Hal Vinson from Texas State, and Eric Mitchell, the former UCF starter at linebacker. And then, of course, the two coordinators in Everett Withers, who's a veteran defensive coordinator. He should make an immediate impact. And Andrew Briner comes from the uh, Joe Moorhead offensive tree, you know, coach under Joe Moorhead at Mississippi State and at Fordham. So those are the additions there. And when you talk about positions to watch, the obvious is the quarterback position. Joe mentioned this with Coach Davis. There wasn't much production from the quarterback spot. They ranked 119th out of 129 FBS teams in passing yards per game. Then if you take out the the teams that run wishbone or triple option, they would have been even lower. So uh, the passing game has to improve there. You look at Kalen Wiggins, Max Bortenschlager, Hayden Carlson, true freshman great Grayson James. Those are going to be the guys in the quarterback competition. Defensive line is going to be huge. Alexi Jean-Baptiste, at last we heard, is in the transfer portal. We'll have to see because he's been in and out of the transfer portal once already since the start of the offseason jokes. We'll have to see once fall camp opens what his status is with the team. But the last time he played, he was one of the premier pass rushers in CUSA. Uh, after gaining his eligibility five games into the year, he had six and a half sacks. So we'll see if he's available. But outside of that, definitely want to keep an eye on Passmore and Vincent on the defensive line, as well as uh, Devon Strickland, who was one of the top young talents last year at six and a half tackles for loss, kind of one of the few bright spots for FIU. And then the last thing I'm going to say is, is as far as the players that are pursuing positions to watch, Definitely the offensive line. As I mentioned, you get Maine and Gomez, but this is an offensive line, Joe, that allowed 19 sacks in five games. I want to repeat that again. They allowed 19 sacks in five games. So had they played a full 12-game season, you can do the math. They probably would have allowed almost 40 sacks. Now, some of that was on the quarterback, a relative inexperience there at the quarterback, and whether it was Stone Norton or Bortenschlager or Wiggins needing to get the ball out of their hands, that played a part, but... The group overall, Joe, is talented but inexperienced. The the top return is probably Lindell Hudson Jr., the right tackle, who was graded by Pro Football Focus, is one of the top 10 returning tackles in Conference USA. So he'll be the guy to kind of lead the charge. They, they have like three or four from last year who did contribute. Now, after that, you know the rotation is going to be seven or eight guys, and that's what they're still looking to establish. Key game to watch. In my opinion, it's going to be Texas State. You know, it's kind of rare that I, I would choose uh, an out-of-conference game because you would think for a team that's 0-5, can they just make a little bit of noise in conference? But this is my reasoning, Joe. You're going to assume, and obviously coming off an 0-5 year, assume is a big ass in assume. Texas State, excuse me, you're going to assume that you get Long Island University as a win. On to week two, Texas State is a Sunbelt program that's rebuilding just like FIU, coming off a 2-10 and 10 year. Um, uh, under um, Jake Spavitaw there. And they're two teams that are kind of heading in the same direction, right? Like trying to see if they can get that winning culture, winning momentum back in place at the respective programs. It, it, it just feels to me, Joe, if you lose that game, it's almost like, where are we, you know, in, in relation to not only the CUSA programs, but the Sun Belt. And also if you lose that one, you head to Texas Tech, you're going to assume that's a loss. And then you head to Central Michigan. You don't want to come out of that four-game stretch, one and three, with the Shula Bowl as the next game, your CUSA opener. So that's why I'm putting a lot of importance on the Texas State game. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You know, now that you explain it, I think that makes sense. Um, you know, I think one of the common themes that people are going to notice amongst you and I's thoughts about Conference USA heading into the 2021 season is going to be these matchups against Sunbelt teams with how good of a match or how good of a year in total that the Sunbelt had last year, being able to play at a high level against Sunbelt opponents, as well as just winning these interconference uh, matchups against other G5 teams is going to go a long way in terms of rebuilding CUSA's reputation amongst the other G5s. Completely agree with you, Joe. And I just think a matchup like this, and there are other CUSA Sunbelt matchups that, you know, will take place this year. I'm sure we'll talk about them on a later podcast, but this is just one of them that kind of, you know, we've talked about it on prior podcasts where CUSA is in relation to Sunbelt. So a couple wins against the, uh, the fun belt would help. Completely agree. Um, which to give a little plug mid show, uh, our Sunbelt podcast is coming back next month. So uh, for anybody who's really been missing the Sunbelt coverage on our end, uh, come back in July and we will have plenty more for you. Um, with that, let's move on to the Marshall Thundering Herd and what we can expect from them in 2021. For me, the biggest piece of their puzzle and their one and only key returner for me, Grant Wells. We kind of saw him last year um, start extremely well, uh, played really well. And then, uh, you know, as a team, they absolutely fell off towards the end of the year and fell out of the top 25, which they found themselves in about midseason. And he just has to really continue to evolve into, you know, one of the G5's top quarterbacks in order to take this team far because – we saw them, you know, obviously have Brendan Knox to lean on when Grant Wells kind of started getting out of rhythm, but Brendan Knox is on the Dallas Cowboys now. So uh, they, they definitely don't have him to rely on when they find themselves in a pinch. And furthermore, which I'll talk about in a second, they need to, they don't have the offensive line that they had to. So Grant Wells is going to have to quickly build chemistry with, uh, a new inexperienced offensive line unit in fall camp. And that offensive line unit is going to have to, uh, you know, really be able to pave the way for uh, the running back that ends up winning the starting job there. Um, the newest addition uh, before I get to, you know, the big coaching addition that they've had, which we've talked about ad nauseum. Um, but Marshall got hit pretty hard by the transfer portal this off season. But as far as the defensive line is concerned, they picked up uh, some pieces that could make an immediate impact, uh, particularly with uh, Stephen Faucho, who transferred in from, from Purdue. We never saw him really play at Purdue, but this guy was really, really solid in high school. And then you're also adding uh, Shane Simmons, who transferred in from Penn State, and uh, Tequay's legs transferring in from uh, Austin P. Um, so those three or sorry, legs is on the offensive line, which I'll talk about, but Simmons and Faucho, um, I think are going to be able to, uh, have an opportunity to ha- make an immediate impact on that defensive line. And, uh, they are absolutely going to need him when you talk about some of the, uh, very experienced, very, um, 
these offensive lines throughout the league who have had the time to build the chemistry that you really need to have success amongst those position groups. And then for Marshall, uh, something that obviously folks are going to be paying a lot of attention to is the debut of Coach Huff. Um, For one, is his recruiting philosophy going to work? When he came on our show a couple of weeks ago, he talked about really making an effort to build his player base from within about eight hours of Huntington, West Virginia. It, it can absolutely be done when you look about when you talk about those recruiting spots um, that are within that vicinity with Cincinnati, the state of Virginia, the state of West Virginia, Baltimore, etc. But when you talk about the guys who have really excelled at Marshall over the last few seasons, it's been a lot of guys from outside that area, you know, from South Florida in particular. So we'll see if uh, Coach Huff knows what he's doing in that department. Um, so, and, and not to mention all the other challenges that are going to come with this season. Um, which brings me to rebuilding the offensive line. And, and that's another thing that we're going to need to watch for Marshall this year. Uh, they lost an All American in Kane Madden, who transferred to Notre Dame this offseason. Um, they are, uh, they also lost Josh Bell who went to the NFL. He's on the Dallas Cowboys as well. So it's really going to come down to how quickly they can rebuild that unit and how quickly they can get to a point where, like I said, they're giving Grant Wells enough time to make those plays. They are paving the way for, you know, an inexperienced, uh, running back, at least comparatively to guys like, um, sincere McCormick and, and the, you know, Brendan Knox, who they just uh, they just lost to the NFL, that is going to be a massive piece of regaining the kind of momentum that they had at the midseason point in 2020. Um, and, and then I think the last thing for Marshall, really for me, is just uh, just finding some ways to replace the offensive production that they got uh, from guys like like Xavier Gaines, who's not on the team anymore, like Brendan Knox. Uh, you know, what tools of Grant Wells are going to be able to step up and help them make the kind of push that they need. Um, key game, another Sunbelt matchup at App State. Um, a, this would be a huge interleague win to start Coach Huff's tenure if they can get it. Um, you know, we've talked about App State's uh, kind of progression amongst the, the G5s the last couple of years. They've been one of the premier ones. And, uh, you know, being able to play against that level of talent in your first year at at the helm of a program like Marshall would be, uh, like I said, it would just be a huge win for for Coach Huff. It's funny, Joe, uh, I'll make it quick before going to Middle Tennessee. You and I both had the same game circled that, you know, a key game for for Marshall. So I will also have an eye on the App State game. Uh, And, you know, with with Marshall, definitely want to see, you know, as far as the guys that they lost, you mentioned Kane Madden, Brock Thompson, a guy they lost as well um, to Purdue. You know, obviously there were circumstances around that. His his younger brother has cancer. He wanted to get closer back to his home base in, in Indianapolis. But um, in terms of just on the field speaking, you know, probably been their number two receiver behind Corey Gamage. So definitely want to see how Corey Gamage will be able to respond because he's probably going to get his fair share of targets this year. So uh, I just want to add that as well. Transition to Bill Tennessee. As far as the Blue Raiders are concerned, <laughs> the big thing that I, I think you have to look at and we talk about their returners is the fact that they're getting Reed Blankenship back, Joe. Uh, not just as a returner, but, you know, someone who's getting back from injury missed the majority of last year and getting someone who 
Yeah, it seems like we've been talking about him for what five years now. It's one of the top players at CUSA, right? Of course, with this extra COVID year, we're probably going to have a few names across Conference USA. Going to be like, man, they're still playing college football. Uh, Reed Blankenship, when healthy, one of the top safeties in all of G five football. And what that gives the Blue Raiders is one of the top safety tandems in all of G five football. But Greg Great Jr., who had a really good year last year, Greg Great was always a player who you saw was really talented, but once he had a chance to really step out as the the kind of the, the standout safety there, um, you know, definitely a, a, a huge thing. And um, see, I got my, my numbers mixed up. Reed Blankenship missed most of 2019, 20, 2020. He led the team in tackles with 76. Sorry about that. But Re- Gregory Great led the team in interceptions with four. So they give them a really good tandem back there in the defensive backfield. Definitely want to keep an eye on that. As far as offensively, Joe, sneaky, very, very sneaky. They may have one of the top, in terms of receiving cores, in terms of depth, they return pretty much everybody, whether it's, you know, Jaron Pierce, the Juco transfer from California, Yusef Ali, CJ Windham, DJ England Chisholm. They return the majority of their, their receiving production from last year. And those are all guys who, you know, you and I, we're big fans of Asher O'Hara. We've had him on the podcast one of the top dual threats in the nation, you know, wish him nothing but success at Sacramento state, but the offense is going to look different in terms of being less of kind of a offense run through a dual threat. And then the offense will be now run this year by more of a traditional quarterback. And that'll lead me into the additions for middle Tennessee state. That's going to be Bailey Hockman, the former NC state starter started the majority of last year for NC state before making the decision to transfer to middle Tennessee. So he was a four-star recruit began his career at Florida state so he is a traditional pocket passer. Not that he doesn't have legs and can't you know, extend plays. I mean, he's not a statue back there, but he definitely is not the dual threat that Asher O'Hara, or even if you go back to you know the Brent Stockstill days, he's not that type of guy. So it's going to be interesting to see how those receivers benefit from a more traditional style of passing game. Take a look at two running backs who opted out of last year. Joe, a really interesting stat that I'll give you is that if you look at Middle Tennessee since 2016, the highest number of rushing yards they've had from the running back position was five, a little bit over 500. That came from Shatan Mobley. If memory serves me correct, that was the 2018 season. In the 2016, Itavis Mathers had 1,600 yards. Of course, you know, that was a great year for the Blue Raiders. But you look at the past few years, the majority of the rushing attack has come from Asher O'Hara. Even in 2019, I believe the the top rusher from the running back position only had about 300 yards from the running back position. So when you look at two players in Amir Rasul and Martel Petway, who opted out of last year, both of them are power five transfers. Rasul, a former five-star prospect at Florida State, his career didn't really pan out, was there for three years, uh, didn't see too much playing time, but he's at Middle Tennessee. And then Martel Petway, a former four-star recruit, started his career at West Virginia in 2019. He had over 700 yards and eight touchdowns uh, at the, the big 12 uh, with West Virginia. Of course, I don't think West Virginia is a big 12 school, but that's another conversation for another time. That aside, they should be able to provide depth along with the returning Shaitan Mobley, who is still at middle Tennessee. So that'll be interesting to keep an eye on as well. The three things that I want to keep an eye on as far as the team, definitely position battles, going to be the quarterback situation. I, I do think that Bailey Hockman should be the starter. I mean, the other quarterbacks there, Chase Cunningham and Mike DeLeo, did see playing time, a little bit of playing time when Asher O'Hara was out over the past two years. But for all intents and purposes, it should be Bailey Hockman's job. So just want to see how that offense transitions with a more traditional style of passing game. Definitely want to keep an eye on the running backs. As I said, 
production from the running back spot hasn't been that high since Itavis Mathers in 2016. And then this defense, Joe, uh, I, I, I just talked about them having Greg Gray and Reed Blankenship. And those are really two talented guys. But when you look at the amount of points that that team has been given up over the past few years, they allowed 35.4 points last year. That was good enough for 102nd in all of FBS football. And you go back the year before they allowed 29.9, just a shade under 30 points per game. So defensive coordinator, Scott Schaefer, the former Syracuse head coach, he has got his work cut out for him to get that defense trending in the right direction. Definitely want to see how that shakes out. And the game that I have circled is against Western Kentucky in the later stretch of the year. Here's the reason why, if all things considered middle Tennessee is able to get going in the right direction. And let's say they're, you know, a 500 team, and I believe, if memory serves me correct, the Western Kentucky game is their, uh, they have four games left in the year when they take on Western Kentucky. If they can beat the tops, they're going to have a stretch where they're going to get FIU and ODU to close the year. In addition with one other team, Masar is not, uh, I don't remember the final team that they closed with, but if they can get that momentum and they're at least coming in there at 500, they can make a late season push, which is what Rick Stockdale has been known for throughout his entire career, especially during that, you know, bowl game streak with Brent Stockdale at quarterback. And they always end up seven and six, you know, or seven, six, eight and five, somewhere around that range. So I think that game is key, you know, because you're talking about a team in Western Kentucky that you'll talk about to close the show. That's rebuilding as well. If they can get that win and then you, 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 you finish up with a team in, that's coming off an 0-5 year in FIU. And then, of course, a team that didn't play in ODU. Might be able to get that classic, you know, traditional Rick Stock still push to a bowl game. Yeah, they're one of the teams amongst all of G5 that I'm super curious how that they're going to respond to everything that they've kind of dealt with in the last eight months or so. You lose a guy like Asher, you lose, you know, you kind of have the, the drama amongst the coaching staff. There's, you know, a lot that they want to prove this season. So, you know, taking into account all the things that you mentioned, I'm extremely excited to see what MTSU can kind of pull out of their bag coming, uh, coming into this season. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, you know, I said here, we're going to leave Western Kentucky for you at the end. So I'll pick it up here with ODU as far as the Monarchs here. The big thing that I am looking at as far as returners, one of my favorite players, and I know this is going really deep into CUSA football here, but Elijah Lala Davis, one of the best names in Conference USA. Uh, he was a young running back in 2019 who, who was a three-star recruit. Uh, believe it or not, Joe, Lala Davis led all of high school football in rushing yards as a senior in 2018. Had over 3,600 yards and like 40 touchdowns. So that goes to show you because one thing Lala Davis can do is that when he has a, you know, a push up front, he can run the football. So it'll be interesting to see how uh, he fares. He is the leading rusher that's returning from the team that last played in 2019. Leading tackler, Jordan Young, uh, Lawrence Garner left the program last year, chose to pursue other uh, his professional uh, career with the, with ODU choosing to opt out. So Jordan Young is the returning tackler, had over 70 tackles in 2019. Isaac Weaver, one of the Iron Men in CUSA in 2019. This is a guy who played every single snap except for one. The only snap that he missed was because he got his helmet knocked off. And of course, college ball rules, you got to leave the, leave the field when your helmet gets knocked off. Across the offensive line, he's a true Iron Man. He's back. Across the defensive secondary, Harold Blackman and Jeronda Hall. Um, very solid back there in the secondary. People don't realize, Joe, that ODU, when you take into account just how putrid quite frankly the ODU offense was in 2019 the fact that they were a top six defense in CUSA with guys like Caleb Ford DeMent and Keon White who unfortunately both have transferred 
to Power Five ranks, but they those guys, along with Harold Blackman and Jeronda Hall and Jordan Young, were really solid. So interesting to see how those guys can transition in 2021. And then, of course, the leading passer, um, or should be, he might have been the second leading passer, he's the most efficient passer by far in 2019 for the Monarchs, Hayden Wolf, the redshirt freshman from these parts, Venice, Florida, came in, started three of the final four games, had that game, I believe it was against Middle Tennessee, Joe, that he threw the ball 60 times, 61 times. Memory serves me correct. You know, his arm might have fallen off there. Uh, we'll see how he fares because with Ricky Ronnie, and this will be a perfect segue into the competition that I'm looking at, Ricky Ronnie is going to be looking for a, more of a dual threat quarterback. If you look at his offenses at Penn State, they, they kind of featured quarterbacks who, uh, could do, you know, a little bit of everything, could run and pass. They were definitely pass first, but definitely guys who would use their legs as well. And that means hometown hero, native of Norfolk and former UCF Knight, DJ Mack has returned home to Norfolk. Uh, he will be in competition with Hayden Wolf. Believe Stone Smart is still there as well. So, you know, technically a three-man three man race, but I expect it to come down to Mack and Wolf. And it's really just going to be pick your flavor. You know, DJ Mack, you know what he can do in a small sample size when all-star quarterback Mackenzie Milton got hurt. Matt came in and led the team to the win against USF. Then in his first start, he was named American Conference Championship Game MVP, a game that I covered. Uh, the comeback win against Memphis in 2019 and then, of course, started the Fiesta Bowl against LSU, but then ended up losing the, the competition. I believe, if memory serves me correct, he, he broke his ankle in the offseason 2020 playing pickup basketball. That led to the quarterback we now know as Dylan Gabriel at UCF. So that has led to Mac transferring home. Uh, definitely a talent, Joe. I mean, when you look at him, he's going to remind you of, you know, kind of like a Donovan McNabb type, almost Vince Young type, 6'3", 6'4", 225, 230. Very athletic. Can throw the football, but he's not necessarily the polished passer that Hayden Wolf is. So we'll see. It's definitely going to be pick your flavor as far as what he wants to establish there with the quarterback position. As far as the positions, uh, the position battles, quarterback, definitely want to see, you know, again, Hayden Wolf, DJ Mack. Running back behind Lala Davis, they have a, a pair of three-star recruits who they brought in uh, this offseason. You know, definitely want to see if they can bolster the running game because that was a big thing. They, they couldn't pass the ball, but they couldn't run it either. So it was really a struggle for them in 2019. And then, of course, the obvious, you got to look at Ricky Ronnie, right? He's making his coaching debut. Um, I, I will, you know, after I talk about the game that I find interesting, I, I want to pose this question to you. If you find any parallels between Ricky Ronnie and Bill Clark, you know, of course, now when Bill Clark took the job at UAB, a little bit of different circumstances there, but someone who's had a year to kind of build on things. If, if there's one thing we would hope he's been able to do is establish his culture and what he's looking for. He's had an entire year. So that shouldn't be an issue. But as far as him as a in-game head coach, We'll see. He'll be learning on the fly. Um, see how that goes in 2021. But the game I am looking at, once you get through their out-of-conference schedule, because they take on teams like Hampton, they take on Buffalo, which could be interesting. Buffalo comes to SB Ballard Stadium. I believe they had two Wake Forest. You know, with a team that hasn't played in a year, you don't want to have any expectations, although you like to think that they could beat Hampton. I am looking at UTEP. That is their first game after their out-of-conference schedule. We know the struggles that UTEP has had over the past three years uh, trying to rebuild with Dana Dimmel, right? I think this would be a great barometer to see where both of these programs are at, but especially Old, Old Dominion. You know, UTEP's a team that has some talent. We'll talk about them when we do the West preview. But ODU, if they can head to UTEP and get that victory, 
I mean, you're at least ahead of the game as far as what you're thinking, as far as your rebuild. So don't want to have the expectations set too high for ODU, but I think that's a game to keep an eye on. Completely agree. And I think it's interesting the point you make about the parallel between Ricky Ronnie and Bill Clark. Like you said, different situation. UAB had their program taken away completely. ODU paused operations due to the virus. But I think the one thing that's going to be a big similarity between the, the job that Bill Clark did and the task that's ahead of Ricky Ronnie is basically restarting a culture, right? Like when you spend that much time away from the football field, getting guys back into the mindset that you have to be to compete at a high level in D1 football is not easy. And it's even harder when you're not able to be in the same place and train together and live together and do everything that a team does under normal circumstances. So coming back into something like that and being able to produce something of a high quality like Ricky Ronnie is obviously going to be trying to do, it, it, it's very similar to what uh, Coach Clark had to do at UAB in that regard. So it's really going to be an interesting storyline to watch. Um, to round out things in the East then, let's talk about my beloved Western Kentucky Hilltoppers. Um, to, to start off with... The big returners that uh, are going to be at the top of everyone's mind for Western, uh, of course, D'Angelo Malone, preseason all-conference selection, uh, has one more chance to uh, really show out for NFL scouts and will absolutely be a big part of this defense uh, You know that has a really hard schedule <laughs> this year. Um, and then on the offensive side of the ball, um, when you talk about guys that have really been in Western for a long time, some of these guys that I believe have even still been there since the Mike Sanford era, you have Josh Simon at tight end who really fits the archetype of uh, the types of tight ends that have really found success at Western Kentucky. Hopefully he can uh, really produce once again. He's big, he's tall, he has the wingspan that you want uh, in a prime red zone target. And then you have Cole Spencer on the offensive line. Uh, been there for a long time is going to be a big part of creating offensive line, uh, you know, chemistries, like I've mentioned uh, throughout the show. I'm a big offensive line nerd. You haven't figured that out already, folks. But I think he's going to be a big part of what they're trying to do. As far as new additions, Eric, Western has 17 incoming transfers in this class alone. Um, So you have to kind of narrow it down. But so I'm going to pick up, you know, pick up the one that I think is going to be the most important, and that's quarterback Bailey Zappi. Um, he was the fall player of the year for his conference at Houston Baptist last year. And while he only played a handful of games, they didn't play a full schedule, he looked phenomenal. Um, you know, I think there were a lot of people who thought he was going to be able to basically get himself drafted off of just a few starts at Houston Baptist, but he opted to transfer to Western Kentucky and try to continue to build his resume under Tyson Helton. And I think that's going to be, uh, um, you know, something really fun to watch here. If he can, you know, come in and immediately gel with, you know, an offensive or an offensive uh, receiver group that is mostly transfers as well. Uh, you know, notably with um, the kid from Notre Dame. Um, shoot. It'll come to me, but uh they, they have a lot of incoming talent in that group as well. Um, then you also have uh, offensive lineman Bo Wilson transferring in from Nebraska. Uh, you have a tight end in uh, Zach Lefebvre coming in from uh, Buffalo. 
and a tight end coming in from Oklahoma in uh, Dane Saltarelli. There is a lot of talent. Uh, and then Daywood Davis from Oregon, too. Like, there's so many new names in this offense that, you know, people who maybe don't watch a lot of P5 football aren't going to know. But that's mostly because these guys really haven't had a chance, but they're in, they were in situations where they really didn't have any way to kind of showcase their talent. But now that they're coming back, they're going to have a chip on their shoulder. They're going to have a a situation, you know, with Tyson Helton's kind of offensive philosophy that that spreads the ball around a lot. They're going to have their opportunity and they're going to be hungry. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, which of these guys kind of stands out. But my money's on Bailey Zappi because we've already kind of seen what he can do when he has the reins of an offense at Houston Baptist. Um, and, you know, not to disrespect the teammates he had at Houston Baptist, but we're talking about a little bit high, higher caliber of a player here in this system. Um, and then, you know, three things to watch. Um, players that are out that were a big part of what Western was able to build uh, last season, there's in the season prior, really, there's a lot. Uh, Kyle Bailey's gone. Xavier Lane's gone. Gage Walker's gone. Um, so just being able to replace all of that is going to be huge with all of these transfers that I mentioned. And of course, there's there's 17 incoming transfers. I'm not going to sit here and list every single one, but there are quite a lot. Um, and, you know, I've talked ad nauseum about Bailey Zappi and being able to repeat what he did at Houston Baptist. Um, and I think the final storyline that I'm really going to be paying attention to is uh, new defensive coordinator, uh, Mo Crum. Rather, he, this is going to be his first stab at the job solo. He was co-defensive coordinator in 2020. Uh, Clayton White, of course, left. Um, but, you know, I think this is going to be his first real chance at showing what he can do at this position by himself and not only that he's going to be able to kind of show what he can do from a leadership position in uh basically getting a group of position coaches who are all you know this is going to be their first year as a business coach at western getting this new group to gel together quickly and getting all of these transfer players to really come together um it's not the easiest thing for all the reasons that we just mentioned. So I'm going to really be paying attention to what Mo Crum can do in that job. Um, key games for me for Western Kentucky. I'm going to cheat a little bit here because I couldn't decide between two. One is Army up at West Point. Um, obviously, Western, you know, they've had some, some classic games with Army in the past. Army is obviously always a tough team. I think being able to kind of come out against them would be big for that program. And then they host number 11, Indiana this year, Eric. Um, You know, when they scheduled that game, I know I didn't think Indiana was going to be a top 15 uh, team the way that they are. And, you know, a little fun fact about this part of the, or that part of the country, rather. um, There's a lot of IU fans who, um, will be making that trip and because it's not a far drive. <laughs> um, so being able to kind of see what that atmosphere is going to be like in BG on that day is going to be really interesting, uh, especially when you have that high caliber of a team coming to you. That's not common for a CUSA team. So seeing how they respond to that kind of situation um, with all these guys like Zappy, like Malone, who are, you know, putting the finishing touches on their NFL resume. 
a win against a, a number 11 team in the country would be huge for that. So that's that's what I'm paying attention to for Western Kentucky this year. Yeah, Joe, I'll quickly add on a couple things here. One, huge, huge Bailey Zappi fan here as well. You know, he's one of the hottest names amongst USA circles because some think he's going to come in and light the world on fire. And there are others who think, you know, he played against FBS teams. Let's uh, slow our roll. I am in the former, not the latter. I think, you know, with Tyson Helton bringing in his offensive coordinator, Houston Baptist, Zach Kitley, bring in two of his receivers. It, you know, if you're going to buy in, buy in to what he does well. And they bought in. Also, uh, I kind of got a laugh when you mentioned that, you know, Western scheduled that game. I'm sure they weren't thinking they were getting number 11, Indiana. Michael Penix Jr., who looks to be one of the top quarterbacks in the nation, uh, a Tampa native. So shout out to the 813, Tampa Bay Tech High. But I, I laugh because I had a chance to see one of Michael Penix Jr.'s early games. I think it was his first career game, if memory serves me correct, 2018 at FIU. Indiana opened the year at FIU. Michael Penix Jr. came in uh, and kind of spelled Peyton Ramsey a little bit. And you saw the talent was there. But I got the reason I laugh, Joe, is because, you know, IU scheduled quite a few CUSA teams over the years. And this is just Western's luck of the draw where everything is hit for them because that could be very easily FIU welcoming a top 10, you know, Indiana team to Ricardo Silva. So, you know, Hey, it, like you mentioned, it would be a great opportunity for this program to really recapture some of the momentum they had, in, you know, in 2019, if they can knock off a top 10 team or a top 15 team. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, before this turns into the, the, the Bailey Zappi, you know, fan club hour or whatever. I don't understand how people, you know, d still doubt this guy. I mean, 6'2", 215, perfect frame for a quarterback. Even go back to what he did in 2019, uh, led the nation with 35 regular season touchdown passes, uh, threw for almost 4,000 yards, only threw 15 interceptions. I don't care if you're quarterbacking Alabama or St. Rita's School for the Blind. That's a really good year. And, you know, not to mention – Houston Baptist as a team, not very good. So the fact that he was able to put up those kind of numbers with the, you know, weapons that he had around him, that's extremely impressive. And the fact that Tyson Helton made all these extra steps to bring him in and make him comfortable right away, they're they're setting him up for success. So I as a Western Kentucky homer, which our Twitter base calls me on a regular basis, which they're right, but <laughs> I'm, I'm really excited to see what he can he can do in this role it's gonna be fun and no pushback from me joe i'm excited as well so you know the the, the people who who doubt to talk about the houston baptist and the fbs but like you just mentioned it if you don't just fall off the truck and throw for over ten thousand yards uh if memory serves me correct joe the the only quarterbacks who threw for more yards over that time period uh ellinger lawrence uh come on there are a few more i'm missing but they all are big name guys so that's the point. If you're in that company, you didn't just do that by accident. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you, as you can tell, we're very excited to see what happens in CUSA East this year. On the next episode, we are going to be diving into CUSA West with the same, if not more, detail. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. Um, thank you all so much for listening once again. If you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe on Apple. Check us out on Spotify as well. People don't know we're on that platform, and we are. Darn it. So check us out there. Uh, and, of course, underdogdynasty.com every day for more G5 football content. Um, and like I said, July, Sunbelt Podcast will return. Uh, happy football watching, everybody. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you guys soon.